he must become greater, I must become less. That doesn't mean I lose myself to follow Christ. It means I find myself in Christ as I let go of this death grip that I've had on my identity or who I think my identity is. And I open myself up to seeking the identity, my identity in Christ. The Shepherd in the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com, search for the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. This is Matt Hook with the Shepherd and the Shrink, and it's just the shepherd today. And I wanted to share with you a really powerful topic and share some personal experience about that. As we're recording this, things are starting to open up in terms of the COVID crisis of 2021. And what has been amazing has been the impact on my attitude of wanting to open myself up. And it made me realize, you know what, I am always slightly discontent with who I am, with where I am. And I'm wanting to say, God, move me along, get me going. And it's not that God's dissatisfied with me or with where I am, but I know that he has so much for me, so much for my family, so much for my friends, so much for our world, so much for the politicians, so much for the people who are suffering right now. And I think that there's something we can do and we can be, but we will never do and never be apart from Christ. And that's partly why I'm here, is to talk with you about that. I think that if you were to realize there is so much more to you than you realize, it would take your breath away. You are more than you think you are. And that's not just me making that up to try to make you feel better, whatever's going on in your life. The biblical truth, the theological truth, the psychological truth is there is so much more to you than you realize. And so I want to talk about what that process is. And Marty and I are going to dive into some of that in the upcoming episodes of The Shepherd and the Shrink. And so I want to introduce today, what is spiritual formation? Because here's the deal. I think the reason we're always looking for the next thing is this. Human beings are creatures of the future. We are not bound by nature. We are not bound by what ties animals and plants into being animals and plants. We are creatures of the future. We're not bound by all that. We are open-ended. There is a mystery in us as people. And that's, I think, what it means to be made in the image of God. And the scripture says, 1 John 3, 2 says, what we shall be has not yet been made known. And that there is a true identity for you that, and for me that seems like it's just beyond our grasp. There's always tomorrow just around the river bend. There's so many Disney songs that tie into this and Broadway songs could be someday. There's a place for us. And what is that? Well, 
The writer of Ecclesiastes, which is a bizarre book in the Bible, talks about the fact that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. In Ecclesiastes 3, God has placed eternity in your heart. And I think that's where we find our identity. And, you know, for those of us who are so dissatisfied and we end up falling for stuff that's going to cover us up or cover up the pain or that angst or that open-endedness that we just can't quite live with, you know, whether it's through abuse or skimming through relationships. When I say abuse, I mean like substance abuse or abuse of our time with Netflix or whatever it might be, abuse of our sleep that we are designed to get. And we skim through relationships because we don't want to go go there because we're not quite comfortable there. You have so much potential. And as you live your life out in the midst of that, personal formation occurs. And as a biblical Christian with a biblical faith, it's not just nature that's going to give us that identity and form us. It's not just follow your heart or me follow my heart. It's not just my past. One of my favorite things to say to our church is because of Jesus, your past does not have to equal your future. And all of those things are legit. God uses our heart. God uses our natures that we've been given. God uses our past, even the bad parts of my story. God can use those and make good things come out of them. That's part of what the thrust of spiritual formation is. And so for Christians, spiritual formation isn't just about mountaintop experiences, although there are occasions for that in the scripture. It's not just about chance or repetitive prayers, although there are prayers in throughout the Bible. There's a whole book of hymns, of songs, of prayers that's called Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S. You can read them, 150 of them. And it's not just about positions of prayer. There's not this 16-point to-do list, and then you're going to get there. What spiritual formation is for the Christian, for somebody with a seeking a biblical worldview, is all of those things converge in one single figure, and that figure is Jesus Christ. Jesus is a human being fully alive. Jesus is God's work. Jesus is God. John, when he writes his gospel, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on later to say, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word is who Jesus is. And he literally put on flesh. That's this Christian mystery. So it's all converging on him in terms of what we are called to be formed like. We say this, Marty and I, Jesus, number one, is a human being fully alive but he's also the only perfectly sane person who's ever lived. And what did we do? We ended up killing him. You can read it for yourself in one of those gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in the Bible. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Bible as how a source of spiritual formation for us. This is a lifelong thing, this spiritual formation. Your grandma is being spiritually formed. Your baby is being spiritually formed. Your teenager is being spiritually formed. You're being spiritually formed. The question is by what and how can we participate in it in the healthy way, in the God-honoring way that, that we are called so that we can be conformed in the image of Christ, so we can be transformed into his image. And the Holy Spirit leads us. That's God with us. And I would say this, just like when we talked to Jenny Hohan about the power of silence 
she said, don't go into silence without God. And I would say, don't go into spiritual formation without God. Now, there's practices that you and I can participate in that help us in our spiritual formation. There's church life with the whole shutdown that has occurred. And I'm using past tense for a lot of us. We said, well, yeah, the church is not a building, but a church is gathering. A church is this flow of people back and forth. There's worship where you take your eyes off yourself and off your problems and you place them on God. In church, there's baptism for new believers, for people entering into the faith. There's the Lord's Supper that sustains us and reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus and reminds us of the heavenly banquet that he has prepared for us. There's a spiritual formation that comes in a moment of truth that's spoken in love. You know, niceness doesn't always mean love. Niceness doesn't always mean goodness. And we are called as Christ followers to speak the truth in love. Family life is designed by God, is given by God. And that means church family too. Just because you may not have people living with you doesn't mean that you are not part of a family or that you're called to be part of a family. And then other forms of spiritual discipline or spiritual formation would be a meditative reading of scripture, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Serving someone is a form of spiritual formation. What does it look like to serve and not care about the position I'm in as I'm serving? And there's the idea of following God's spirit as we seek to be formed in that image. John 16 says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And in Ephesians 4.13, it says, into the fullness of Christ. And it's a fullness that we get to experience as we empty ourselves. John the Baptist, who was one of the greatest prophets of God, according to Jesus, said, he must become greater, I must become less. That doesn't mean I lose myself to follow Christ. It means I find myself in Christ as I let go of this death grip that I've had on my identity or who I think my identity is. And I open myself up to seeking the identity, my identity in Christ. So spiritual formation doesn't take us away from the world but it plunges us into it in the middle of the world's raging, in the middle of the world's suffering, giving your whole life to God and freely serving others, like with deep humility and love. Thomas Akempis, one of the ancient fathers, wrote that. Spiritual formation, giving your whole life to God and freely serving others with deep humility and love. And I want to look at one of the primary ways that we experience spiritual growth, that we experience spiritual formation, that we practice the disciplines of being a disciple. Marty's always quick to point out, disciple comes from the word discipline. And there's some easy practical steps. So if you want to get something to write with, there's literally some steps. But I want to introduce this, the spiritual discipline of meeting God in scripture. So first, a quiz for you. What book is always removed from the wiki bestseller list? The book that is always excluded from the wiki bestseller lists is the Bible. Why are they against it? No, it's just it would be the bestseller every single week. 
What book is always banned before any other book? When a dictatorship or a totalitarian government takes over a country? The Bible. Why? I believe because it has the power to change hearts and minds. What are people so against when it comes to scripture if it's a bunch of myths? I believe it has the power to change hearts and minds of individuals and of societies. Throughout history and to this day, men and women risk their lives for the Bible. What is it? It's a library. God speaks to me today in ways that God has already spoken. We read the Bible not because it tells us what happened, but because it tells us what always happens. A couple specifics about the Bible. It was written from the earliest writings, which many scholars believe is the book of Job in the Old Testament, to the last book in what we call the canon of Scripture. And many people believe that could be the book of Revelation or Jude. It's written over 1,600 years from that first writing till the last. Imagine something hanging together that was written today the same that it was written in 500 AD. It was written over 1,600 years from the first writing to the last. It was written on three different continents. Can you name the continents that the Bible was recorded on? Asia, Europe, and Africa. It was written primarily in three languages, mostly two, but there's a third language that you have to name. The Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures were written in Hebrew and in various forms of Hebrew through the centuries as it was written. The New Testament was written in Greek, but then there are several sections in the Old Testament that were written in Aramaic, which is the ancient Arabic language. It was written by over 40 different authors, and it was written as 66 separate ancient documents. Those 40 authors included kings, scholars, poor people, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, historians, teachers, prophets, and doctors. It was 100% human authors, we would say, and 100% inspired by God. Now, there are people with difficulties in the Bible. There are difficulties in the Bible. There are shocking things in Scripture. There is suffering in Scripture. There is the love of God as it's laid out in Scripture. There is massive suffering. How does that hold together? that there is difficult stuff in the Bible because it was written not to take us somewhere else. It was written to reflect this interaction, this spiritual reality between people and God. So if this has piqued your curiosity, if you are ready to look at what does it look like to meet God in scripture, rather than listening to a podcast, listening to a sermon, going to church, reading it yourself, not being sure what's going on, there's a couple things to know. You can do Bible study with groups of people. It was designed that way. It was an oral tradition. When the books were written, when the letters were written, the majority of the people couldn't read. So somebody would have to read it for them. So it's good to tackle with groups. If your local church has a Bible study group, that would be potentially a good thing to plug into. But here's when it comes to understanding the Bible. Because if you're like me, for a long time growing up, I was like, oh, I read it, but I don't really get it. But there's some favorite passages, but I don't understand what it is about them that reaches me. So number one, you need to know if you're having difficulties, don't worry. In a way, it's almost like doing a crossword puzzle. You start with a clue. 
And even when you can't answer the full question or the full puzzle, don't stop. Keep going and use the clues that you do have to help fill in the others. Another thing is you're approaching this idea of spiritual formation through Bible reading is this, expect God, expect God to speak to you through the Bible. He will. There's a powerful verse in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, written to the Jewish Christians who were scattered. And Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God, which is what we call the Bible, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Let me say that again. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I love that image of the double-edged sword, meaning it cuts both ways. It's not just to solve somebody else's problems in your life. It's that double edge that sometimes does its work on our hearts as well, cutting out something from our life or penetrating an area that I've built up calluses on that God's ready to deal with. That's how this kind of encounter with the Bible is. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, like a surgeon's knife. It cuts, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Funny they call it a sword, because if you're like me some days, the truth is you feel like you're in the middle of a war. Our worldview, the way we see the cosmos is that, yes, I'm in a war. You're in a war for the hearts and the minds of people, our hearts. You know, there was a man who was quoted, and this is 25 years ago in the 1990s, saying that he was in a battle for the hearts and the souls and the minds of American youth. And he was a shoe salesman for Nike. To capture our hearts, to get our minds, to get our preferences, he felt like he was in a battle for the hearts and minds of American youth. I believe that he's not wrong. And here's what we need to remember. If you and I are following Jesus, we're in a war for the hearts of minds of people, our hearts, a war for good to win, no matter how dark the storm gets in our lives, no matter how strong the evil seems. God has rescued people and he rescued people by becoming one of them, one of us. Every day, if you and I are willing and if you and I are following Jesus, we get dressed for battle or not. Every day we either win a little back or we lose ground. But here's what I want to say. Most of the ground that you're ever going to win or lose is within you yourself. The most violent, the most important, the greatest battles ever won or lost are fought on the soil of the human heart. That's your heart. That's how precious it is to God. That's how precious you are to God, is the vessel of your heart. The rest of the outward battles are secondary. Think of when people come to see me for counseling, and Marty and I have talked about that. There is suffering that is going on that has led somebody. There is pain that has motivated somebody to seek help. And that's a, a good thing that you can do with pain is let it motivate you to do good things, to seek help, to get healthy. But when it comes to the battles that we're in, if we would win the battles that rage within our own souls, you and I wouldn't be facing half the battles and the frustrations that we're living in right now. Jesus said this, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, this is Jesus himself. 
Streams of living water will flow from within you. Streams of living water will flow from within you. As Jesus is quoting, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said. You know, Marty and I have been talking about bringing divine resources to bear in your situation and in every situation. I think about so many conversations I have. Are you tired of being afraid? Are you tired of being frustrated? Are you tired of yelling at your kids? Are you tired of being a slave to your schedule? Are you tired of medicating yourself with alcohol or the internet? Where are your divine resources? Why is it so hard? I think our biggest problem is somewhere along the way, we dropped the sword. We're in a battle and we have no tool. We have no defense. We have no weapon. We dropped the sword. And I don't know if you're like me or not, but I'm tired especially this season of waiting for someone else to show up and fix me. I'm tired of waiting for a leader that never comes to come around and make things better. This season, things are opening up and I'm asking God to make me ready. Whatever season you're in as you're joining with me today, I'm ready to open up. I'm asking God to make me ready. I'm asking Jesus to fix me. And I want to make things better in my life and in the lives of those I care about in our country. But here's what's interesting. When it comes to this sword, it's God's sword. Some of us think we're so tough and have such a good scheme that we need to realize we need to borrow this weapon. There's only one weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the gospel's not a hammer. It's not a weapon. It's medicine. And here. In scripture, it says, take it, this word of God. That's like the Bible. And so for the second half of what we're talking about, I want to talk about what does it look like to pray the scriptures? There's all these things out there, but but for us to win the battle inside our hearts, something switched for me about two years ago. And it was this, it was not picking up my phone first, except to turn the alarm off, not opening a single app, just shut the alarm off. And the first thing that I grab is the Bible. Or for a while, I was doing a daily reading. And so I'd plug in my earphones if I was the first one awake. And it's something I could soak in while I was doing something mindless around the house, like making coffee or brushing my teeth, you know. And just to hit the ground running, hit the day, first off, going from heaven and then getting into the reality of the world versus hitting the world through whatever news, Facebook, Instagram, texts, and then having to pick myself up from there and look to God or look to heaven, however you want to put that. So praying the scriptures, allowing the words of the sacred text to form our prayer is what it means in terms of the spiritual discipline of scripture reading. And and you can literally take something that you read in your Bible and form it into a prayer, either directly or indirectly. We're going to practice that in a couple minutes. Praying the scriptures is heart-to-heart communication with God that moves in both directions, from us to God and from God to us. And so what I want to do, and maybe for you to consider this new season of your life, to approach the scriptures in a spirit of prayer, not always a spirit of analysis. You don't have to set that completely aside, but We acknowledge that we are seeking the living, active presence of God, pausing, aware. And there's an ancient Latin word, phrase for spiritual reading. It's called Lectio Divina, Lectio Divina, reading 
divine spiritual reading. And what Lectio Divina is, is it's reading and savoring a short passage. And here's how you approach it with a listening heart, with unhurried expectation. God has a message to convey that is suited to us and suited to our situation. So we go into this Lectio Divina reading, spiritual reading with ears open, with hearts open. And you pray this prayer. What are you saying to me, Lord? What are you, God, saying to me? So there's five steps. Here's the first step. Read slowly. As you pick up your Bible, as you plug in, read slowly. Don't take a huge chunk. There's times to read the whole Gospel of Mark. You can read in one sitting. The beginning of Jesus' ministry to the end and where he sends the disciples out. You can read that in one chunk. But when it comes to Lectio Divina, read it slowly. Secondly, meditate on it. Let it roll around inside you. Reflect on it. You don't have to understand it all first. And that's why you meditate on it. And then thirdly, you pray the text. You know, if you read Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's an easy one to turn in the prayer. Lord, you are my shepherd. I don't want anything but you in this moment. It's simply praying the text. And then the fourth step is contemplate. In other words, rest. This is when you arrive at the place at which you no longer work on the text, but you allow it to work itself into you. You're not looking for additional insights. You are just savoring the encounter of God's truth and time with God himself. That's why we call the scriptures, the divine scriptures, the holy scriptures. So first, read slowly. Second, meditate. Third, pray the text. Fourth, contemplate. Arrive at a place where you're no longer working on the text. You're allowing it to work itself into you. And then fifth, you move outward into the rest of your day or back into your day if you're doing it midday or, or to more toward evening. You move outward into daily living and become a blessing of God to other people. That's what that looks like. What I want to do now is share with you. I've got my Bible here, and this is fairly unprepared. But for this kind of meditative reading, I'm just picking a short passage. Aim at something short. And I've got this Bible. It's called the Spiritual Formation Bible. There's some things to think about in the side, but it's basically just the text. And this is a story of Jesus. Now, Jesus, for most of his ministry, was in the north part of Israel and in the lake area by the Sea of Galilee. It's called a sea, but it's fresh water. It's fed by the Jordan River and from mountain streams. There's a lot of mountains there. It's beautiful. And there's all these towns and villages all over the lake and cities all around this giant lake. So I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Luke 8, 22. If you want to get your Bible, for me, sometimes there's Looking at the shapes of the words even helps. Luke 8, 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got in a boat and they set out. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. Hmm. 
a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke Jesus saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Interesting. Some things take repeating. They don't just say, Master, we're going to drown. They say, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Can you picture that scene? A couple things that are jumping out to me and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, are you nudging me with a word or with a phrase or with the image of what's going on here? One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. In other words, he's leading them. So they got into a boat and set out. They followed him. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. You know, sometimes I think one of our biggest fears is we think God's asleep at the switch or something. And he's out of control, not in control. And so we're sailing along and Jesus falls asleep. A squall came down on the lake. Storms always happen, don't they? Squalls always happen. So that the boat was being swamped. Waves are coming over the sides of the boat. You know, they just discovered in the 1980s a boat on a very low, dried up season for the Sea of Galilee. And it was discovered to be from the first century fishing boat. It's probably 30 feet long, 25, maybe 20 feet long. And it was preserved perfectly in the mud at the bottom of that lake. Now there's a museum there you can see. The boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. These are Jesus' best friends. These are his disciples. And they are out there. The boat is being swamped. They were in great danger. The disciples went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Sometimes it's okay to repeat God's name. Master, Master, we're going to drown. But look at where they're putting him. They're calling him Master. And they're naming their situation. You may be in a drowning situation. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. And here's the part that I feel the nudge at. Jesus then looks at his disciples while they're all still in the boat. And he says this, where is your faith? He asked his disciples, where is your faith, Matt? Where is your faith, Marty? Where is your faith? I could think of so many things my faith is in. That's not Jesus. My faith is in the strength of the waves and the wind that are coming at me. So much going on during this time. And my faith is that, oh man, I'm going to get overwhelmed. My faith is I'm never going to change. My faith is I'm never going to be good enough. And Jesus is really confronting his disciples. I think he's confronting me. Where's your faith? He doesn't quite say where else is your faith, but he's like, would you stop doubting me? Yes, you get overwhelmed by life. But as you're getting overwhelmed by life, would you just stop doubting me and put your faith in me, not in your life? <laughs> and look at his disciples, his friends, the guys who are with him. It says, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. When I look at what is the spirit saying to me, where's your faith? 
yeah, I'm going to set you out on some journeys. Let's go across that lake. It's not easy. We could drown, but I'm with you in the boat. All of that. And the question remains, where's your faith? To me, that's where God is, is nudging me the strongest right now. As you go through this, if we're doing this together in person, you might have something else that jumps out at you. It could be that Jesus called him to go across the lake. It could be that the disciples listened and they got in the boat and set out. Some of us just need to set out. Enough staying on the safe side of the shore. As they sailed, he fell asleep. That's such a funny image. You know, Jesus was, can we just let him be human? 100%. The boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The danger doesn't go away. The difference I see here is that Jesus is with me in the danger. I'm not alone. And he does have the power over the raging waters and the storm. And the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. That's legit. They are naming the in-their-face fear and reality. This isn't up on some mountaintop that they're encountering Jesus. He gets up. He rebukes the wind. Jesus isn't afraid to call a spade a spade. There may be some wind in your life that you need to rebuke in the name of Jesus because it's bad words coming at you, bad attitudes, bad through and through the raging waters. Why do we submit ourselves, subject ourselves to raging waters? Because Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind. He rebukes the raging waters and the storm subsides. Remember a lot of spiritual formation is what happens on the inside. And then all was calm. They're still on the boat, aren't they? And Jesus says, where is your faith? With Lectio Divina, it's, it's encountering God in this way. What an amazing question to go through the rest of this day with. Where's your faith? That's what, what God has for me. What I'd like to do now is to turn this into a prayer. And whether the where's your faith is what God was speaking to you by his Holy Spirit, or another part of this account of Jesus with his disciples, Luke chapter 8, verse 22 to 25. A simple little reading, but man, that gives me something so good to chew on all day. Something so good to bounce off of. Something so good to rebuke when, when my faith is, is somewhere else. And if it's, if it's on something that's not God, I don't want to mess with that. So I'm going to hand it over to Jesus now. And, and we do that by prayer. And this is how we're going to end the session. Lord Jesus, thank you First of all, that you get in the boat with me. Thank you, God, that you are willing, that you are calling us to other shores. But you're not calling us to go there alone. You're calling us to go there with you in the boat, with you in our lives. Wow. Lord, even when we feel like you're asleep and we're scared, we know you're not. And, and you are a breath away. You are a prayer away. Your name bears repeating, Master, Master. Lord, thank you that we can be completely honest with you. And thank you that as you see us through, you are so desirous of us shaping ourselves after you. That when we fall for winds, when we fall for waves, when we fall for raging, when we fall for hot air, 
you love us enough to say, where the heck is your faith? What is it in besides me? Or what do you think you can put your faith in that equals me? And so Lord, I repent of all the other narratives of, of leaning into other things more than you some days, including my own fear or terror. So God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Where's my faith, Lord? I offer my heart to you that I would be in, in that boat with you. I would trust in you in the midst of the storm and the danger. I place my trust in you. Lord, you are my hope. You are my faith. And I want to come back to that with every moment of this day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Shepherd in the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com, search for the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.